In this episode of Board Game Impact, we're going to be talking about teaching and learning games and some strategies therein. So stay tuned. Howdy and welcome to the latest episode of Board Game Impact. My name is Bruce and I'm always joined by... This is Josh. And today we're going to be talking about teaching and learning games. But if you haven't heard, if you haven't listened to us before, uh, please make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can get all the latest episodes because we are taking our educational lenses. So I'm working on my PhD and Josh and I both work in higher education. And so we take those lenses and we apply them to the gaming situations that we're having um, and to break them down for your group's benefit. And so today is probably one of the most important ones there because we're literally talking about teaching and learning it's it's a, surrounding a little on, yeah a little on the nose with this one. yeah it's a little on the nose with this one like literally i was teaching my class earlier today so this is really about like some strategies and things like that but i'll let josh get into that in a second but that is who we are we also do some youtube videos occasionally um but we're very excited to be talking to you about this so make sure to subscribe and then also uh go on over to facebook and instagram and follow us there um so josh this was your brainchild, which is interesting because we both work in education and it took till episode 54 for us to do this. So walk us through kind of where this came from. Yeah, so this is a topic that I've been very interested in bringing to the show for quite a while now. Uh, and, and where this really started for me is I have traveled a lot over the past uh, five, ten years of my life. Uh, I've moved around for different jobs and different things like that. And board games have always been my home whenever I find a new home is, you know, the first thing I do is I find where's where do people meet up to play board games in this new town that I'm living in. And so it's how I introduce myself to people and how I meet people. I have found in the process of doing that, that I as I find new groups and new individuals that. I'm learning a lot of new games that I hadn't heard of from other people, but I'm also bringing a lot of games to groups that have not had those games before. And so I'm doing a lot of teaching um, and a lot of learning. And so I have realized and found and, and discovered over time some techniques and ways that I have modified the way that I teach games to... I think improve my my te- teaching methodology for different games. I, I found things that work. I found things that don't work, and, and and so I've kind of wanted to kind of bring this topic to the show. And you know, Bruce and I we've we've talked a little bit about a, a very particular game that we're going to mention a little bit later on that has I think a really great teaching mechanism built into the rule book and that really kind of prompted me to say you know Bruce we we've been talking back and forth about this game for a while I think we both want to do a uh, deep dive into it eventually (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that but I I really enjoyed this teaching mechanism. And as we were kind of brainstorming, like, I, I, I love this topic. I really want to talk about it. I think it's not only a great conversation for us to have, but it is a great conversation to bring out of an episode and to 
open up to the community, to the listeners, to everyone who is engaging in our content to continue the conversation past the release of this episode to say, what are you doing? You know, what are you learning? How do you see this interacting with your uh, game group or what works for your game group? And, And so we can continue to build and expand uh, the knowledge base of not only ourselves, but the community as a whole. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. And I'd actually love for people to post over on the Facebook of like, Hey, this seems to work for well for my game group when we're in this setting. Um, and I think setting can be important for also learning. Um, but the other factor too, is some games might require different teaching. And we'll get into that in a minute, um, a little bit more. But if there's any tips or tricks that you've come across for certain games or gaming experiences, that might be super helpful. So um, definitely post that over on the Facebook. But before we get into all this, got to give a caveat, Josh, and that is our context, right? And so for this conversation, Josh mentioned about moving around and which, yes, Josh, you have been moving around a lot lately. And what's interesting is I've been planted Lately, for the last five years, and before that, um, I mean, I'm moved all over the place, um, and so it's kind of interesting. You and I have kind of flip flop there, um, but we're specifically talking about adults, and um, so please know that for this conversation, we're not really leaning into this is how I would introduce this game to my niece, um, who I, I have three nieces, um, and so do know that this is like, how would I introduce this at like a game night or uh, to a group of potential new friends or a meetup, things like that with other fellow adults. Right, Josh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, we could do a whole other episode on teaching to children and the differences Mm -hmm. between teaching the children. And right. I, I took an entire graduate school class on the difference between teaching to children versus teaching to adults. Yep. Um, and, and so there are a lot of differences at play there, um, not only in the way that you're teaching, but also the game, the type of game that you're teaching. Yes. And, and certainly, you know, I'm going, my preference of gaming is I enjoy bigger, meatier, heavier games that require, you know, dozens of pages in rule books (laughs) and you know hour-long youtube videos and different things like that so so my my style of teaching may be very different and you're right based off of the game that i'm working with based off of the group that i'm working with i found things that work really well for some groups and i take those to other groups and they fall flat um and so a lot of context i think in in all forms of education, context is incredibly important and teaching a board game is no different. Yeah. And so for this conversation, um, we've got a couple things structured out. So we've got um, really these more broad strokes of approach to the teach, because that's a phrase over the last couple of years now. Um, we've also got some different types of games and some things that go well in that, some things that might not go well. And just to clarify, but then also towards the end, we're going to go into specifically how like what is our approach to teaching different games or learning games for ourselves because that is we are also an adult consuming content to then learn it so we can play the thing whether that's a solo game or even preparing for a teach and we'll get into that part in a second but one thing i do want to just go over and this is from my some of my phd work um, in human resource development and so i took a whole class in adult learning 
that have that other kind of class Josh was talking about too. Uh, but one of the things of adult learning is this thing called andragogy, which a lot of people are more familiar with pedagogy, um, which is really teaching of children. Um, and so andragogy kind of takes over in that essentially like 16 to 20 timeline, depending on person um, and cognitive development, but really goes then for lifespan to go all the way up. And so uh, Knowles in the 1980s kind of came up with these six principles of adult learning. I'm not going to take a lot of time with this, but I'm just going to cr- crash course you through. So these six principles are first is need to know. So the willingness is con- uh, to learn something is connected to the tasks they're wanting to learn more about. All that good thing for us is they're coming to a game night. So hopefully the people at the table already have that cultivation of a need to know because they're already there and they care, hopefully care about it. Uh, but having that, maybe that conversation of like, hey, we're, we want you to focus in here because I want you to have the best night you can. Um, self-concept. So we make our own decisions about learning so they can choose to be like, nah. Um, but how invested they are is a choice to them. And so here's the rub with all of this. You could be the best teacher. You can do everything in your power. But sometimes at the end of the day, like you can't force them to drink the water if that makes sense. Um, so do know that there are limitations to this and there's a choice in this, but you can try and set the stage. Um, with that, the third thing is prior experience. So no one's a blank canvas. So people who have more experience in learning games have probably more of a repertoire to make it easier to learn games uh, because they may have experienced it before. Where if they have a blank canvas of they haven't really been in this space, how can you apply prior principles? Uh, readiness to learn, uh, knowing material is going to be relevant and helpful to them and signaling benefits can help them help them make them realize what information is useful. So for adults, it may be really important to connect the things that are going on to how that's going to benefit them. Right. And so preparing them to that, um, orientation to learning is the fifth principle and uh, adults are really problem centered where, Honestly, for pedagogy, it's really more like abstract and like future, like broad strokes, but it's to solve a problem. So really, we want to be immersed in how do we help solve that problem? What problem is there to solve? And lastly, motivations. We are intrinsically motivated as adults to learn, but external drivers can help us. So that's where uh, setting up that night for success if you're having a game night. But we cannot make adults learn, but we can help them determine what they want to achieve in the learning. And so with that, we all might not get the same end result, right, on the test. But some, some of us, if we're able to get 50%, that's 50% more than we had coming in. And so understanding that motivation, we might get to different end goals. Um, but that doesn't mean that any of us are any different. Um, we're just unique and we're going to approach things uniquely. And so that's the thing about adults we're going to be unique. Um, and everybody you bring to your table, let's try and cultivate things for the, to bring out the best, just to put that out there. So Josh, I just kind of crashed through that. So why don't you kick us off with the first thing? Sure. Sure. So I, I think this is a really good tie in. Cause there are a couple things that as we go through some of those Knowles kind of concepts of adult learning, um, there, there are, I think, some really strong ties to why this has become a conversation for me, right? Uh, I, I used to teach games the way that I learn games. (laughs) Um, Mm. and, and I have found that that does not work. Uh, wait, not everyone is you. 
not everyone is me. But at the same time, I, I have found that there are very specific reasons for that. Um, so I I am maybe a little bit of a unique bird here. I really love game mechanics. Okay. And so I have always, and this is something that, that when I look to how I learned games, uh, which I'll, I'll mention here in a moment, I I tend to focus on the mechanics of the game and the goal matters less to me. Mm. As we just discussed, step f- or, or number five in, in Noel's six concepts of, of andragogy is orientation to learning. Uh, tells us that as adults, most adults are problem-centered. And so I have one of the first things that I learned very early on as I became more of a teacher of games, right? As I went from being the guy showing up to game night with maybe one or two games in my collection, and I I was still learning a lot of new games and becoming immersed in the hobby and moving into that transitional period into becoming, you know, I have a podcast about gaming. I have a nonprofit about gaming. I have, I am on Kickstarter every other day and I'm constantly buying new games and consuming new content. And so I have become one of the members of my game group pretty much everywhere that I live who is buying and getting new games to the table. And so I have transitioned from the learner to the teacher. And early on, I would often set out with this concept of I'm going to teach the mechanics Mm. and then tie the theme in. That's very Euro of you. Yes. But every time that I would do that and and people would interrupt the teach, right? Because the first thing I would start saying, okay, so here's here's what we're doing, right? Here are the mechanics. Here's what, here's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be taking your meeples and you're going to be placing them out here and you're going to be taking these different actions, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Immediately, before I could even get into my teach of the game, someone would inevitably interrupt me to say, sorry, what are we trying to do here? What is the goal? What is my end? What is the end point? Um, and to me, the way that this works in my brain is I'll get to the end when I get there. Um, but but I have learned that that in trying to introduce other adults to mm-hmm. games, it, it really has to start in, in most almost every game in, in my mind. Um, this has become the the dominant theme for me is that you must start with here's the theme. Here's who you, so you are traders in the Mediterranean and you are trying to develop your economic empire. And you're going to do that by taking these steps. And as you do so, you're going to earn victory points and the person with the most victory points at the end of the game wins, right? That is a very different thing than saying, okay, you're going to be moving your ships around this board and you're going to be trading and interacting with people. Um, and you're going to be trying to develop your network and, and this is what oh, this is. And this is what this is. And this is what this is. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it, it's a very different style. Very. And so this is something that, that I really had to make a very dramatic shift in the way that I learn games versus the way that I teach games. So you created, the, you gave a brief thing of the setting, then you told them where they're trying to go, and then you were rounding it into, now let me show you how you get there. Exactly. So that that I think is is number one, and and one of the thing like first lessons that I learned um, in this process of becoming a teacher of of games and, and someone who I actually I, I find great fulfillment and great enjoyment of introducing new games to new people um, and, and providing that teach, and so I I will now I have gone from sitting down and setting up a game and as i'm setting up i'm talking to people about different things and i i have completely changed the way that i teach games now i generally don't start talking until the game is completely set up in front of the mm -hmm. people um and we've talked about this in the past is in in terms of cultivating a great gaming experience i think is really important if you're hosting a game night and you know what game you're going to be playing have it set up and ready to go so that whenever players sit down at the table, they're looking at everything mm -hmm. um, because it does. It helps, I find, with with them learning. You're able to focus the their uh, attention rather than trying exactly. to process everything that's in front of them and set it up at the same time. You're focusing. Ex them. Exactly. So I, I generally don't start teaching until the game is completely set up. Uh, I, I start with a general overview of what you're going to be doing uh, throughout the game. Uh, and then I'll get into the mechanics of how you're going to achieve that end goal. Um, but the reason why it's so important for me to have it set up is I am a very physical learner. Um, and this is something that kind of getting into a little bit of mm -hmm. how I learn games. I I am personally not someone who can sit down and watch watch rodney smith play a game oh i could totally just prepared. sit and watch him play watch him play games but yeah do i learn anything sometimes <laughs> exactly well and so yes you're right i i could i can sit down and watch people play a game and and i get the general concepts and what you're supposed to be doing and i generally get a feel for is this a game that i'm going to enjoy versus a game that i'm not going to enjoy but until i have the game materials in front of me and I can pick up the meeples and I can look at them and I can see on the board, okay, here's where I'm moving them. It, the tactile piece to it is so important to the way that I learn a game that I really need to be sitting down in front of it and see it all laid out in front of me in that way um, in order for me to really process what is happening. Yeah. So, so with some of that, Bruce, I guess, what are your kind of, um, it, do you have a, a way that you learn games? Do you have a way that you teach games? I do. I have several things. Um, and I would just want to comment. I was, so I was going to pull this out in a little bit in this episode. I'm going to just pull it out now. So I actually asked on the board game revolution community Facebook page. I was like, what games or aspects of games or resources do you use to help teach and learn? I'm not going to lie. I did have people just comment of like, I do this thing called reading the rule book. Right. And so 
Mm-hmm. A, I just want to break that down of like, no one else at the table has access to said rule book. Um, yes. Right. So it's like, and you can't pass it around. Usually there's usually not four of them. So you can educate in advance and say, hey, this is what we're going to play. Can you please read up on it? Whether that works or not, that's another conversation. Uh, but then I had uh, the uh, Becky uh, commented saying that her husband used to do nothing more than talk at them and read them the entire rule book. I've done that. Early, early on, I used to do that. And how'd that work out for you? I will own up and acknowledge that. And how'd that work? No one ever knew how what what they were doing or or how to play the game or how to be successful in the game. And I think that's that's something that's really important here is not only like, do you understand the mechanics, but do you understand how those mechanics work together to make you successful? Right. So there's this thing called Bloom's taxonomy of knowledge, right? And, and, and so like the lowest level, it's like a pyramid, the lowest level, the most basic thing is knowledge retention. Sure. I can tell you what the things are, but that doesn't mean I can, I comprehend it. Right. Um, think of it like a test somebody crams for it. They know the answer, but that doesn't mean they make sense of it. Um, so she commented that she took over a game night, by the way. And then I would set up, she would set up the, the game. Sorry, I'm reading a statement. So it has I statements. Uh, Becky would set up the game and then we would play and, and tell, teach everybody the basics. And fundamentally, she said that like everybody would like almost fall asleep in the past where now they're like super engaged and they're getting into the action faster. So, what I like to do, Josh, um, and I appreciate Becky and others for sharing, and I might pull out some more things from that post in a minute. Um, what I really like to do, as much as possible, figure out what we're playing in advance. Um, so part of being adults, is, I think, is having that DTR, the define their relationship, and being like, hey, here's the games I have. What would y'all be interested in? So like, we have a Discord channel for my meetup. And anybody can post in there in the Tuesday gaming group of like, hey, what are y'all wanting to play over on Board Game Arena and stuff? Because, hey, hashtag we're still at home. Um, And people can learn the rules. And so personally for me in learning, Josh, I'm going to talk about the other side. What I personally like to do is when I show up to a game, I want to feel I want to have everybody else have fun. Right. And I don't want to be the detractor of that fun. And so for me, I want to feel that I have the competence to be successful, not win. Like, I actually really don't care about that. But I want to have Mm -hmm. the competence to be playing in a way where I am not a hindrance to others. And I'm, I'm able to also be a good steward. And so for me, if I know, hey, here are three games that people are interested in. I go on, I do watch like the Rodney Swift, uh, Rodney's watch it played videos, um, which we'll get more into watch it played versus watching it played in a minute. But I also consume things like gaming rules with Paul Grogan or um, mm-hmm. heavy cardboard. And I will watch the teach. I will watch people playing it. I will also probably read the entire rule book. And then I'll probably also read other things to help like clarify. I invest a pretty significant energy into trying to set that experience up for success that most of the other players around the table never know I did. Um, and again, I don't try and win, but I want to feel like I can contribute and given my research background and stuff for me, I want to dig into it and I want to understand. I want to get to that higher order thinking because sometimes when a game just gets thrown down on the table and if it is like, this is this, this is this, this is this, I have a hard time in that immediate moment 
of putting those two things together. I am more of a let's take in multiple sources and let's marinate on it, and then it clicks for me. So when I'm teaching a game, as much as possible, I try to educate the players as much as I can, right? Um, and I try to in advance. And so, hey, here's some things. Um, here's some helpful resources for that. But I'm also relying on that little bit of the um, their like their readiness and their orientation and motivation of they're coming here with an intent. And I want to uphold that, but I also know that's not the case for everybody. So I try to have the game set up as much as I can um, whenever possible. Obviously, a meetup at a pub and stuff, that's difficult. Uh, but I'll try and set it up as much as I can, try and limit my conversation like you said, and then I'll try and usually kind of use the same methodology that you just talked about, to be honest. But the other thing about it is um, really when I'm teaching a game, I am not really playing the game. And I think that is a fundamental difference. Mm -hmm. I think I did well when teaching a game when they kicked my tail at it. And so this might be a lot on me, but it's I'm trying to do this because I'm trying to be a host, like hosting a party, hosting friends. I... I am trying to keep up with what actions they are taking or some of those kind of things because sometimes that can be indicative of are they not taking certain actions because they don't yet know they should be. Not should be, but could. Or knowing what those things are are clicking. And so as things are going, I'm trying to also spoon out more information as things become relevant. Um, So that way we're working on the short-term towards a short-term tactics or long-term strategy. I know that's a pretty big burden on the teacher, but like that's being a teacher as well. Yeah. Well, and, and this is again, I think something where for me, at least the context comes into play a lot. Yes. Because if I'm sitting down and playing with my game group, my game group on average, I can look around the table and know that every person there probably plays four to five games a week. Sure. Um, that's just the nature of my game group is we play a lot of games. And so in those situations, I'm going to be playing to win, like, or, or going to be playing to do as well as I possibly can, even if I am teaching it. Sure. Right? Of course. Yeah. I'm not trying to do bad, by the way. I'm trying sure, to be competitive, sure. but <laughs> I don't really care sure, if I sure. win. <laughs> No, and I mean, that's a personal thing for me is I'm never playing against the players at the table, especially a game that I've played before. Oh, right. I'm never I'm never trying to beat the players at the table. I'm always trying to beat myself. Yes. Um, And do better than I did before or do something different than I did before and see how that works. That's just the way that my brain works. But I know that's not how everyone's brain works. But what I mean to say is when I when I teach to players who play a lot, right? When we talk about prior experience, prior experience is huge. If I know that this person has played a million worker placement games and I'm teaching them a worker placement game, I'm not going to be paying a whole lot of attention to their turns throughout the game. Sure. Yeah. Knowing your audience. If I'm sitting down with my wife's coworkers, who have maybe played Catan a few times and have maybe played Ticket to Ride a few times, but beyond that are relatively new to board games. 
for those folks, I am like I you you're one hundred percent correct. I am more paying attention to yep. their turns than I am to my own. Sorry, I didn't clarify that, but yeah, it's really when I'm playing with somebody who I know doesn't have as much experience. Yeah. That that context I think is really key in those situations because you're absolutely right. Like I want especially someone who's new to games. If you've played a million games, you're going to pick out the things that you like about this game. You're going to pick out the things you don't like about this game. You don't need me to serve it up on a platter for you. At least that's my opinion. That's fair. If you've never played a heavy strategy board game before, I really want you, like, I want to bring you into this. I want you to see what it is that I see um, about this hobby. And so I am, I'm very focused on, okay, so you're doing this action and I understand why you're doing this action, but have you considered, you know, over here, do you see this Mm -hmm. and how you, if you did this instead, it would benefit you in the long term. Uh, And so that's something that, you're you're a hundred percent right. I do think that that is really key, especially when you're teaching to lower experience players. Yeah, and so here's the thing with that that actually I talk about all the time when I'm talking to my students, and that is um, one of the things I do because I acknowledge if you were to come over and play games at my house, like we have a board game room, and if you're not really into heavy gaming or gaming yet, yet I'm gonna we're gonna get you there hopefully. Um, that could be intimidating already. And so when we're playing a game, if there's a card that comes up, let's say we're playing Clank or Dune Imperium, and there's that card row, and I think that card's pretty cool, I'll probably react a little bit more. But also I probably will try and have myself not take it because I would love for them to have the discovery of the synergies and stuff that can come with either their player or stuff. So sometimes I will make a suboptimal move. So that way a new player can have an enhanced amount of discovery because I think that is going to light up different centers of their brain. They're probably going to have a lot more fun. They're going to feel clever um, in a good way. Yes, that might be a little manipulative, but I'm trying to manipulate it. So they have a freaking awesome night. So um Bear with me on that. So I just also put that out there. Yeah. And I don't know that I will necessarily go that far. I don't know that I would necessarily give myself a suboptimal move, but I definitely would take the step of pointing out. So the game that most often comes to mind because it has become my game to bring non-gamers in. It is my, it? it is my gateway game that I introduce first is Wingspan. Oh, okay. Um, it's super birds on birds on birds. It it's super simple to learn mechanics wise. It is incredibly deep yep. when you start to look at the interplay and the interactions between what your birds are doing, and it's a nice, pleasant theme that most people can get behind. There's a reason why it is one of the best selling board games of the past, you know, however many years. Yep. And so I may I I may not pass up a bird that is out there that I really want, but I may point out to someone, hey, you have this bird in your forest and this bird really synergizes and syncs up really well with that. Like it would be like 
I think it'd be really smart if you pick that, like not telling them what to do, but just right. saying like, Hey, here's the synergy. Here's how, because a lot of people, even if you have played games like ticket to ride or Catan or dominion, even, um, you engine building is a whole different uh-huh. beast. Uh huh. One and one makes um, three instead of two. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so when you start to like, I think it is very, very helpful to show people those things because, again, you're right. When you have that really awesome turn where you run your engine and you score a boatload of points, it feels good. And when you feel good playing a game, you're more likely to come back and play it, play it again, or play a new game. Yep. So, one thing I did want to kind of we've we've hit on it a little bit but i didn't want to talk about it a bit is this idea of rule books versus <laughs> videos yep. versus a person teaching the game um and and kind of the learning game or a playthrough yeah so, um yeah go ahead so this is something that that i've actually come into contact with more since moving to Colorado and becoming a part of this game group that I am a part of now is one of the ways that we curate the gaming experience for everyone is we, at least one of the nights that we get together to play games is we have a whiteboard and everyone puts up the games that they want to play. And we draw two games on Wednesday, knowing that we're going to play on Friday. That's cool it's really, really helpful. And one of the cool things that we have done is we will post a learn a, a, a video, someone, if we have a, a watch it played or, um, you know, one of the, you know, hard, uh, heavy cardboard or one of the other guys who has done a, a playthrough or, mm-hmm. or a rules explanation. We'll post that into the group chat along with the games Heck that yes. we're going to be playing. That's amazing. Um, the challenge for me, like I said, is I can watch those videos, but if I don't have it set up in front of me, I really don't retain a lot of that information. Um, so I'm more like you, Bruce. Even if it's a, if it's a game that I don't know, uh-huh. but I don't own it, I'm going to watch the video, but I'm also going to read the rule book. But it's really not until I sit down and actually start playing the game that I really start to comprehend how things work. That's fair. Um, and so, like, I will go in with the knowledge that I'm probably not going to do super great at this game because it's really only going to be about halfway through that game that I learn it. So, Which Josh, is, yeah, I have a question on that. Do you, besides watching like a watch it played, do you ever watch playthroughs? I do, and I do find playthroughs more beneficial. So actually, uh, I'll kind of buzz market another since we've <laughs> talked about some other guys. Yeah, I have found John Plays Games yeah. to be very, very helpful for that exact reason because he doesn't just teach you the rules of the game. He also he does that while playing through and taking turns as a person would take turns in their setup so that you start to see some of the strategy and tactic and the interplay between the mechanics come to life a little bit more. Hmm. But still, even with that, I, I, I struggle with 
uh, w- with doing that. Uh, a good example, we just played Maracaibo last weekend. Okay. Phenomenal game. I'm in love. Alexander Fister does amazing things, and this is just scratches that sweet spot for me um, in so many ways. I uh, really, really want to get that back to the table now. But as we were doing this, and Maracaibo is a game that I own, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't go through my normal learning process for it. Okay. Um, instead, I watched the John plays. Okay. Uh, I did read the rule book beforehand, but even still, I thought, through 90% of that game, I was going to lose and lose badly. <laughs> Why? Because it, I, I, the victory, like the as I was, as we were scoring points throughout the game, I was down 30 to 40 points for mm. most of the game. But it wasn't until the end of the game when all of the things that I had been doing caught up. <laughs> And I ended up winning by a good like twenty points, and I felt really bad at the end of it because I spent skyrocketed half the game being, past them. <laughs> well, and I spent half the game being like, "Man, I'm so screwed. I don't." Know oh, what to you do. sore like, winner! Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I legitimately, I had no idea. That's funny. That this one mechanic was going to be worth so many points for me. <laughs> um, I, I was just like, I was like, well, I'm losing in all these other things, so I'm going to focus on military because everybody else seems to be ignoring it for the most part. Maybe I can kind of catch up a little bit there. Sure. But it does, it didn't feel like I was getting there until the very end of the game. And then I just skyrocketed. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I, I, my end game points were almost a hundred point over a hundred points. Um, just an end game. Whereas everyone else, I think had closer to like 40 to 50 end game points. Hmm. um, so I I the reason I didn't see that is because I didn't go through my general when I get a new game how I learn it. And that is I actually play through a few rounds of a game by myself. Yeah. Um and I and think I that's actually, important. I I actually do that process of okay, so here's what's going to happen and then I'll look at okay, if the game were to end after two rounds, what would my score be? Mhm. And and how much do each of these different things count towards my score? Which I think is really helpful and something that I think is missing in a lot of these video and not to downplay the benefit of the wonderful job that that all of these people who are content creators who are out there creating rules videos they do great work and they do an exceptional job and they, I, they think, I think they do a great service Mm -hmm. to the, to the hobby. But the one thing that I, I often miss is that strategy is that tactics because had I gone through that process before playing Maracaibo Mm -hmm. and I was doing the teach for these other people rather than us watching the video, which we did before the game, I would have said, don't sleep on the military. Like, yeah, the military is going like if you if you sleep on this, if you let one person run away with it, they're going to dominate like that, I think, is important for you to know on the front end. Yes, I agree. 
So it's kind of like in Root, where you need to say, okay, we all need to keep everybody else in check. Yeah. Like, you can't focus all your attention on one person, because then somebody else is going to skyrocket. It's going to happen. So the same thing in this game, Maracaibo, with with that military track. If you let somebody run with it, right, it's going to run. And so, mm-hmm. and that could feel, that might not feel good at the end, because imagine if, if that person that ran was a person who's played a lot of games and stuff and you're the new person and you think you're doing well, you think you're doing well, and then you just get slammed down. Mm-hmm. And so I think the more that you can help talk into that now, leave some room of discovery, but talk into here is the context of why some things might be important or how things are connected because you're playing in an ecosystem of that board and that rule set, right? Well, exactly. I mean, for some context here, I ended the game, right? So final round concludes before end game scoring. I was losing by about 40 points. After end game scoring, I beat the person who was in first place by about 25 points. Um. And they were scoring, you know, plenty of end game victory points as well. So it's not like, you know, I just scored a whole bunch and they scored nothing. They did really, really well. Yeah. But because no one saw or no one knew the value of this particular mechanic, if you're playing that and, you know, we're all, again, players who play five to six games a week and you know we're constantly learning new games and so there was no hard feelings and everyone was giving their good games but if you're new and you watch that happen that hurts Um, and and you may not want to come back to playing games yeah i don't necessarily want to play that game again or those mechanics might scare people off from those mechanics if it's their Mm -hmm. first introduction to it and so I, I really appreciate us leaning into that um, and talking that through because I think it's all really important. So with that, I wanted to bring something else up because you talked about learning game. And so there's two kind of things of that expectation of like results, mm-hmm. right? And so there's two kind of modes of the well, three modes. One is we can play the game. We played the game. Yay, we learned it. It was what it was. There's a, or like, oh, that's what it was. Um, there's also a learning game where it's like, okay, we're all committing to this. And I think this would probably play out for you, Josh, in your, in your um, 10 by 5, right? Of like, hey, this first game, we're probably all learning it, but we know we're committing to playing this game more. Um, or we know we might want to get it back to the table. So giving grace to that first learning game is important, but you play through the whole thing. But there's another factor, and that is, you can also set up the game, play like two rounds, but commit to that before you start the game. And regardless of where people are at, it's like, okay, we've kind of seen how everything is going. Let's make a decision. Do we continue or do we reset? The practice round is another huge, huge takeaway for me. Yes. Um, something that I have very, very much adopted, especially with, with new gamers, right. Talking about wingspan. Um, because usually if I'm playing wingspan, I'm playing with myself and my wife and then some other people. Um, and so they can at least see what I did. They can see what my wife did. We may play two rounds so they can see a couple different actions. 
And then we can stop and say, okay, so you've seen all of the actions now. Mm -hmm. This, this is all of the things. How do you feel? Do you feel like you can continue? Do you want to reset and, and no, you know, no hard feelings if you want to reset, right? That's, that's the whole point of this. And, and pointing that out at the beginning to say, you know, we're going to play through this a little bit. You may not understand it right now, but I think you will. And if we want to reset, we can reset once you kind of get a grasp on it. I think that's really helpful for breaking down some of the barriers to learning new games. Josh, have you ever sensed any kind of trepidation from a new gamer or a gamer who's like experiencing that game for the first time? It's like that pressure to say, actually, I really want to reset. Oh, all the time. Absolutely. And and I think that that's part of, you know, having that conversation. And I, I have even get, at one point, there's a very specific game I'm thinking of where I'm like, you're in a really bad spot right now. Like, I'm just going to call a spade a spade. You've made a couple mistakes in your first rounds. And I think you could do a lot better if we reset. Like, would you like to reset? And calling it out and saying, you know, hey, no, no shade, right? This is, you're new to this. Um, but I can already tell, like, here's here's some some things that, that you could have done differently that would have enhanced your experience. Would you like to reset and try this again? Um, and, and I think going about it in, in a, kind and and generous way where it's not a um again i think setting up that expectation like hey we we might reset this right we could i i have no problem with that it's probably not Um, hard (laughs) no uh you know usually especially at that point you're one or two turns into a game and so that's you know worst case scenario you know you you have to reshuffle the deck. Yeah. Right. So right. And redistribute cards out. Yeah. And move things back to your player board. Like that's really what it is. Yeah. Um now that being said, Josh, I'm glad we went into that. There's another kind of thing that you were mentioning earlier um that I want to lean into. Um and that is like different types of games may build some of this in. Right. Um so there's a thing called like intro scenarios or recommended first plays and then also like campaign and legacy. We'll throw them into this too. Um, so what I mean by this is Josh and I have both been playing through. I am almost through my second campaign of it. You're still working on it, right? Yeah, we're about halfway through our first campaign. And that is of sleeping gods, the latest game from red Raven games. Um, so that's the game that Josh and I are absolutely going to do a deep dive into because there's a whole lot there. Um, and it's going to be a special episode in which we end it. And then we have like a spoiler filled conversation post credits in case you want to avoid spoilers. Cause it's a, it's a, it's more of a legacy campaign game, um, campaign game. Um, with that, it has an intro scenario, um, in which, you have this extra booklet that's like, here's how you learn the game. And it, it, it it's prescribed of like, this is what you will do. Mm-hmm. This is what your dice roll is. So that way you get, it essentially walks you through five of the aspects of the game. So it, it walks you through a combat. 
It walks you through, here's how you interact with the main player board. Here's how you interact with the market. Here's how you interact with, insert a couple things here. And mm-hmm. it's telling you what to do and you're moving components around so you get the feel of it. Now, I don't know that that would translate over to a Tabletopia um, or um, Tabletop Simulator, but in person, that this that kinesthetic learning is real. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, once you've played the game, if everybody knows how to play, it's, it you skip ahead and it just says, here's what you start with, now go. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really just for that first intro. Josh, what did you think of that? You know, so I really enjoyed it. Um, I, th- I thought it was really good for for this game in particular, right? Because of the way that this game plays. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the prescribed and, and it's not really a dice roll. And this is a deck of cards that, that you flip. Right. Right. But yeah. I, I didn't like that, that it was that prescribed. Um, I more so enjoy the idea of having something where, um, it, it tells you to do these certain things and, and, you are still able to fail um, or you are still able to succeed. Cause it varies at some points. It even tells you that like you fail yep. um, just so it shows you what happens when you fail. Um, but I, I did think it was pretty, pretty, a pretty cool idea. Um, mm-hmm. it, it reminded me a lot of the, uh, and I was just talking about it, but wingspan came out with the, um, a little expansion pack that was the starter expansion. Yep. Um, which has a, a full sheet that says, okay, here are the cards that each person is going to start the game with. And here are the first four moves of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now you know what all the mechanics are. And so now you can go and do the rest of the game the way that you would, you would want to do it. Yep. So, um, and we're seeing this I, more too, I think. So, I, but it was weird in the moment. Like it felt weird because it's not something we've seen felt before. Yes. Um, you know, it, it very much felt like the tutorial of a video game. Yes. Right? Where it won't let you fail. Right. Um, it won't let you, you know, continue on with the story until you get through this piece. And that felt very uncomfortable. But at the same time, it was also very helpful. Now, yes. Specifically when it comes to for sleeping gods, when it come, came to the combat, like for me going through a round of combat was incredibly helpful. Yeah. Of all the things I found that the best too. Yeah. Everything else felt very, um, you know, if you've played a lot of games, it's very easy to pick up on. It felt very samey in terms of like the mechanics, right? Like, okay, I know generally how this works. Yeah, this was all new. Um, but the the combat was completely new, and so that felt very helpful in that respect. Yeah, and so when I think of this, I think it was a little too prescriptive, but it was cool that it was there, and I think it was very helpful in the long run, especially with that combat. Um, but when I think of this kind of intro scenario, I actually think of a really good Ted talk that Mark Rober, um, who's a YouTuber, the guy, former NASA engineer for the curiosity Rover, all that kinds of stuff makes YouTube videos. Um, 
And one of he did a TED talk though on design, and it's the, he did it was on the Super Mario effect, which is like the touchstone of like teaching for video mm-hmm. games. Because how does it start? It starts with a little Mario, nothing else on the screen, and you have this little controller, and it's now okay. You're you're Mario. You try to go to the left, you immediately hit a wall, and once you do that the wall starts moving, right? It starts moving to the right Mm -hmm. as you move to the right. And then as you move a little to the right, it now introduces your first challenge, a Goomba walking at you. You got to figure out something to do. It's going to get to you eventually. If you let it hit you, you die and it's going to reset. But eventually you then learn, oh, I can jump or I can jump on it, right? And then eventually you encounter the next thing. Oh, now here's a brick. And so I, I like the intro scenarios for kind of this layering out of concepts i really like that i think we i think we though need to we haven't yet found one that is layering them out in just the right way that still allows player choice like you were talking about i i'm going to agree and disagree with you a little bit that's that's part of why we do this (laughs) (laughs) um i i would agree with you that i don't think we have found the right ingredients in most games and definitely i don't think we have found it in one-off games sure but i'm gonna skip down your list of examples here a little bit to a game that i think does this incredibly well that is true that's charter stone yep that's that's a legacy game though i'm saying like it is i was saying more of a game game like no offense i mean but sleeping gods is also a game game right like (laughs) that's true or is also a legacy game, I should say. Right. Now, it can be played as a game game, as can Charterstone, once you get through the legacy. True. But, <laughs> caveat. Um, <laughs> caveat. Um, right. I think for a legacy, like, a lot of legacy games expect you to have some knowledge base before you come into it. Yeah, Charterstone does um, a really good job of this. I agree. Charterstone, you have no knowledge base coming into it and it really does i mean it gives you the option to choose now the one knock that i would put on charter stone is i i having played through charter stone twice i kind of wish you could play the first game and then reset the board yeah um and play the first game again because yeah. I, I do think you can make mistakes in the first game that hurt you for a while later for, for a very long time. Um, but that being said, I think for in terms of a game that like lets you make mistakes and let you learn from those mistakes, it, it does a really, really good job of slowly drip feeding you these new mechanics in a way that you, um, feel like you're really making progress throughout it yeah and so here's the thing about it though and you mentioned about it like you can play it as more of a this is a game in a box and we're just playing this Mm -hmm. but once you get through the legacy and i agree with you i wish it was like a removable sticker pack Mm -hmm. for that first one and it's like okay now you know this now actually play um but i will say i think even with charter stone i think one of the other um knocks against it was that it was too light the the dial may may be too dialed down where it it might not 
have enough agency that it actually feels like I accomplished something and want to get that game back to the table for the rest of the legacy. Yes. Um, Which is why yeah, I think ahead. I avoided that in my two playthroughs of Charterstone because I specifically set out to, I mean, the first time we were rushing through it, right? Yeah. You were just trying to get, it you were moving and now we were trying to get yeah. it through, get it, get, get it, get it done. Yeah. But, um, both times that I've played through it the second time, knowing how light that first game was, I like, got the group together and I said, okay, we're going to play Charterstone. The first game is so light that it's barely a game, but it is important to teach you the concepts. Yep. And so we're going to play through two games on our first session. Yep. Um, that way everyone did feel like, okay, in that second game, I really accomplished something and I felt good. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But I, I, I do. Your point is taken that, that, it is still a little too light in that first, but the same could be true about pretty much every video games tutorial mode, right? Yeah, that's true. Tutorials because right. You, you have to assume when you're doing this that you're starting at zero. Yeah, that's true. That's not us, right? Right. We aren't starting at zero. We are starting at maybe on a new game like Charterstone, we're starting at maybe a four. Out of? Um, out of? Ten. Okay, right? just it makes a difference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're, we're starting maybe, a, or even like a three. We're, we're starting a little bit above right. zero. Right, right. Now, yeah. with that, uh, the, the key of a legacy in a campaign game is that there's usually a commitment. We're going to be getting this to the game table for a longer amount of time, theoretically. And so mm-hmm. the problem you might be, if you're listening to this, you may feel like, okay, that's great. Stop talking about stuff that's like gonna, I'm gonna play it over and over and over again. I just want, what about just a static game? And so there's another thing that's I think is important with this. I'm gonna go one up, Josh. Oh, two up for you. Um, in our little Google Doc, and that is mm-hmm. recommended first play. Now, when you hear that. There can be the temptation, oh, oh, this isn't the real game yet. And I'm just going to put it out there. A well-designed game and first play, that's still one hell of a game. Can be. And so my example for that is Food Chain Magnate by Splotter. Right? So the re- uh, Food Chain Magnate is you are a... CEO of a business and your actions are in how you build your organization chart, like literally making your organization chart out of cards. Um, and you're running a food chain, but with that, yeah, um, seeing you type some stuff in our notes. Yes, I agree. Um, with that, you're trying to compete against the other players to, uh, make burgers, make pizza, make lemonade uh, and sell lemonade. And then also like, sell soda or beer. Um, and then also how you do that is you market to the townspeople. And so there's a lot of little layers. And then there's this whole like milestones thing of like, here's your bonus for being the first person to uh, X, Y, Z. So now you get this extra little power that no one else will get. Well, what's fascinating about that game is two things. One, those milestones can be like way swingy to whoever has them. B, 
the at the start of the game before you do anything every player essentially has a has a 100 200 and 300 dollar card and they plus that in, in secret into the middle of the game board and everybody puts their card in puts it to the side the deck has a, cer- a certain amount of money in it so there's a money stack when that money runs out those cards are revealed and then you find out if you're playing a long game short game or medium game because that 100 if both Josh and I are playing and then to add $200 to the bank. If we both put in the $300, we now just added $600 to the bank. So the game's going to go a whole lot longer. So long-term strategy is probably going to win over short-term gains. The recommended first play of Food Chain Magnate, this game that is known to be pretty ruthless, and if you make a mistake early on, you're going to be pummeled into the ground. But I love it. Um, The recommended first play for that says... Do not touch the milestones and you're only playing till the money runs out once because I want you to understand the cool mechanics that are going on in this game. And in that alone, there's a really fun game that you could just keep coming back to because it's like, how am I going to position my businesses right? How am I going to do my marketing right? Like there's a lot of depth there. So I think in a well-designed game, that first play can be amazing. So when, when you see that in a rule book, don't just view that as, oh, that's not the real game and I'm going to skip ahead because I'm a gamer. There might be a reason for them designing it and, and trust on that game designer to do that and lean into that. So I just wanted to put that out there, but I see you also wrote another game on this whole recommended first play thing. Yeah, you know, recommended first plays is generally something that I'm not a fan of. Um, for the reason mentioned, see, see Sleeping God's Charterstone conversation. Yeah. I generally find first time playthroughs uh, to be very boring. Um, There are actually two games that I want to mention here that I think did a really good job with first time playthroughs. One, we did a deep dive on not too long ago and that's pendulum. Mm -hmm. Uh, The, because the recommended first time playthrough for pendulum is that you don't play the live act or the, the real time component. Yeah, no sand timers. Um, otherwise, otherwise, the game is completely the same. Um, and that just works really well for learning so that then when you come back and you can play in the real time with the sand timers, uh, you you already know what everything is doing and you already know your strategies and tactics. Yep. But the game that I think does this phenomenally well is Brass. Um, specifically Brass Birmingham. Which I now just ordered, by the way. So excited. Uh, which I'm very, very excited to hear your opinion of uh, whenever you get a chance to play it. Yeah. I am probably going to be ordering Lancashire myself. <laughs> okay, um, cool. But why, what do you think about Brass and its uh, learning game? Not so learning game, the way, recommended first play. So the recommended first play for Brass is Brass. <laughs> they just They just tell you to stop after the first era yeah the canal so, era for for people who aren't familiar with brass by um i guess the new edition is by roxley games designed by martin wallace um brass birmingham um is in 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 the game of brass birmingham you are playing through two eras you're playing through the canal era and you're playing through the railroad era same in lancashire you yes uh, as you build your technologies and industries. And in the 
recommended first playthrough of brass they just tell you to stop after the canal era and then you score some additional points based off of your income which at least in birmingham doesn't matter um if you actually play the full game but the nice thing there is that the problem that i find introducing to people introducing people to brass is it's highly prone to analysis paralysis yep it is can be an incredibly long game and it just makes your brain hurt. And for me, it <laughs> makes my brain hurt in the best possible way. Yeah. Like, you and I are a little masochistic when it comes to yes. that. <laughs> we know this. Um, but I, I mean, brass may be one of my favorite games of all times. It, it is definitely working Same. its way up there to the top two or three. I adore everything about this game, but it is very difficult and it is in different ways from food chain magnate, but it can also be quite brutal. Uh, and, and so I think giving you in a similar way to food chain magnate of just saying the game is the same, you're going to be doing the same thing. The thing that is different is you're just going to spend less time doing it. So you can then spend more time analyzing it which is what i think is great yeah if you leave a game and you're still thinking about how could i have improved that or your players are you've done a lot right all right and with those recommended first plays of brass or food chain magnate for me i think it sets you up to do that because you're like oh so like if we really wanted to continue like if if we were to extend to this game what would i need to do to Mm -hmm make up this point differential yep or what would i need to do to maintain my lead yeah i I agree with you like i really like these mechanic choices because that is Mm -hmm. our design choices and Mm -hmm. so i encourage you if you see recommended first play don't just scoff at it actually read it and if you're familiar with the game and you're introducing it to new people, it might be just the right thing it's trying to, instead of trying to teach them the whole thing. Now, yes, it, you're being humbled a little bit and you're not playing the whole experience that you've used to or things like that, but it's as a teacher, it's not always about us. Yeah. Well, and I, I do, and like, I, I will say there's the challenge as well. Yeah. For, and, and this is something that I come across a lot, right? Is I, not so much with brass brass. I have a pretty good core group that know it and we can play it, but a lot of games that I own, I may never get to play the advanced bear, uh, version. Um, yeah, that's really kind of disappointing for me. Yep. Um, or I may not get to play my expansions very often Yeah. because I really do. I want, because I want my players to have a good time. And so I'm going to play that recommended first play, or I'm going to play, just the base game um so there there is a bit of a trade-off there but i think that the important thing to think about is if you can give those people a great first experience and leave them hungering to come back for more you're gonna be more likely to get that game back to the table so you can play it with the full mode or you can play it with all those expansions yep more likely than if you try to throw everything in the kitchen sink at a new player um, and they just hate it and they never want to play again. Yeah. And not only you'll get that game to the table, but you're probably buying more games. And so you'll 
you'll get to play more games with those people too. So it's not just that one game. So I just want to put that out there. So I want us to jump down a little bit and then kind of be rounding this out, Josh. Um, So some things that I find helpful and I want you to lean into this. I'm going to give two examples, Um, but that when mechanics are in alignment with theme, right, that can help a lot of it just clicks. Um, I feel like I would be doing this like um, some, this is not one of the examples I'm really giving you. I'm just going to talk about it. So in Merlin, a game we've talked about a lot, you talked about it even in the last episode. Um, you, you were talking about how, yes, there is the knights of the, like you're going around the table, but it's not really about that. It's just a rondelle, right? Um, it's not that immersive, but there are games where things can feel super immersive. Like, so the game for me on that that I would like to highlight is Star Wars Rebellion. Mm. When that is Star Wars in a box, but you get to, play your own story, but like the things you're doing as the empire and putting out these forces all over the board, you are feeling in control, but you get really mad about the rebel rebel forces just kind of hiding from you. But that is the theme of that, like the game, but also that whole franchise And as a rebel, as a rebels, you are feeling like I don't have enough and I'm trying to scrape anything I can but again, that is super immersed in that theme. And, and so if you are playing with somebody who likes Star Wars, they're probably going to click onto it faster. But the more of a gap between that player and that source material, it may not help you. Man, Bruce, I sorry to diverge, but I just really want to play Star Wars Rebellion with you now. I realize that we've never played that. Um, I haven't That's played my Star number Wars. one game. I haven't played Star Wars Rebellion since OG Justin was still in Texas. Oh my gosh. Well, it is going in my game bag then for when I come to Colorado once fully vaccinated. That is happening. So I'll bring the <laughs> Warhammer stuff. I'll bring that and some other stuff. Um, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you're, you're 100% correct. Like that is, that was actually one of the earlier, like heavy, heavy games that I learned. And the reason why I learned it so well, and the reason why I felt so comfortable with it was because you just, if you know anything about star Wars, yep. You, you understand what you're trying to do. Um, and, and it, it, everything that you do feels like you are in that setting. And so, yes, I think theme tied to mechanics is huge for first time or early gamers. And so I have one more game to talk about. Mm -hmm. And that is red rising, a game that both Josh and I have pre-ordered again, hashtag not a Stonemeyer podcast (laughs) second Stonemeyer game in this episode. Sorry. You missed it with the first one. That was our fail. Um, (laughs) We've three because we, we did, Charter Stone Wingspan and now yep yep Red yep Rising. well still hashtag not a Stonemire podcast a- <laughs> um, Red Rising is a game that is coming out we've both pre ordered it it should be arriving hopefully in the next two weeks I know there's some shipping stuff but hey pre ordered it like two weeks ago the fact that I'm getting it within a month amazing um, Red Rising is a game in watching Jamie Stegmeyer's design diaries from when he failed to make this game two years ago. He said one of the core requirements of this is that he wants people to be able to play this game immersed in this theme. However, 
to have none of the game spoil anything of the book series. And he wants somebody to be able to read the book series and have that act of discovery. And so for this game that's coming out, it is a rather light card game. And it just happens to have the characters of this universe using the resources of this universe. And Josh, like, I am a book and a half into the series. You are how far now? Uh, I have a quarter of the third book left. So, so I am, yeah, two and three quarters of a book. So by the way, we're both doing an audiobook on this due to sake of time. And also, um, I've actually been enjoying it. It's actually the first audiobooks I've been doing, which is crazy. I'm going to into that He's, another day. I know. He does a great job. He really He's does. But the first one, the first book is 16 hours. The second book is 18 hours. So if, you, if you're adding that up, Josh has already committed 34 hours in the first two books to listen to this. Now, what that means is not everyone is investing that, nor have they necessarily read these books. Yet, I highly recommend it. That or the audiobook. I'm getting mine through my local library. It's amazing. It's so, uh, so good. But the theme, really not connected to the game from what I've seen. Now, obviously, we're going to play it and we're going to deep dive on it because even though yeah. hashtag not a Stonemeyer podcast, um, we're going to deep dive on it. Yeah, we are. Like, we know we've been, we're very invested, so we should. But that intentional design choice is playing out where the character cards that you have and you're playing with in your hand, they might not, might not come till book three or book two, et cetera, but you don't know they're associated with different events in the, in the, in the game and not in the game, but in the, the, in the books. And so I think that's really cool. But what that does though, is if you're playing with somebody who is immersed in a theme, I also think a little bit Dune Imperium on this. Mm -hmm. If they know the theme and they like it, they're going to, click more and they're going to have some other intrinsic in investment going back to Knowles uh, andragogy their investment and motivation is going to be that much more resonant in them and you can capitalize on that as a teacher and so you can ask them has anyone read so like Star Wars Rebellion have you do you like Star Wars if not like probably also don't probably invest playing that game just to put that out there but it's a fantastic game but if you know they've played, if you like Star Wars, lean into that. If you know they've read Red Rising, that's an interesting phrase to say, by the way, Red, Red Rising. <laughs> um, you're probably going to be able to be like, okay, cool. I can't wait to see you like get these different characters out here because I know you're going to remember them from the books. Yeah. But well, and that, I mean, yeah. yeah, that that alignment of theme for. I think I I really applaud the way that that Jamie Stegmaier did did the theming for Red Rising. I think it's brilliant and that it allows for everyone to enjoy the game. Yes, and allows for immersion for players who who know the characters because it's really the characters is where that theming comes in, and we'll talk more about that in a future episode, I'm sure. Yeah. So some last things I have here. Um, one. I've talked about this like from very early on on this podcast when it was just me. Um, but games to me, I used to work in the wine industry. Side note, um, games to me like can be like a bottle of wine. And so depending on what we're having for dinner um, or the experience we're trying to craft, I might pull out a different game, right? And so acknowledging that um, based on players, based on the experience we're trying to have, 
the teach might be slightly different and we might get a different game that is at a different level. Um, and I think that helps in teaching cause you can be building towards more things like, so real quick, um, Matt, who, um, I know he's up in Toronto in lockdown. He offered up his like 400 games to his local community and it's like, if you are needing games to play around the house between your, you and your significant other, let me know. And I'm going to give you a bundle of three games that you'll just give back to me. And what he told me is he gave them games that are more intro. And then depending on what he liked from that, what they liked from that, he would then give them the next level up. So scaffolding the experiences and game difficulty made those people get more and more into the hobby. Um, and then, Based on what you were talking about, Josh, I added a little statement here in the beverages and time of day. Um, so, like, maybe not if it's a longer into a game uh, or like a game night, take out the heavier game to try and teach it because someone's mental load might be a little tapped. When I first learned brass, Josh, it was at eleven thirty at night. <laughs> yeah, that's a rough one. I uh, I learned tapestry at 3 a.m. during a 24-hour game day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I learned food chain magnate on like my second to last day, my the last full day of BGG spring, my first BGG, mm-hmm. at like 9 o'clock. I was exhausted and spent. How did that tapestry, again, not a Stonemeyer podcast, <laughs> how did that tapestry go for you, Josh? You know, we got through it. <laughs> I enjoy, I loved the game and I still love the game. It's a fantastic game, but it was rough. It, it is. It, there is a time and a place. Um, now, did I learn anything? No, because I learned pendulum this, this year at 3am during a 24 hour game day. So, um, <laughs> that's just, gonna a, con- that's just called tradition, Josh. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to make it a tradition to, uh, learn a new heavy, heavy game at 3am. Yeah. Um, but like being cognizant of that for yourself and just having a pulse on your, on, on the people you're playing with. And just so that way, cause you might be setting yourself up for, failure before you even begin the teach that's completely outside of your control but you can control of like how are we doing and having that open feedback um something i always do josh i'm curious if you do this no pressure if you don't um but some games don't come with enough rules reference sheets or player player reference sheets and so i usually go on bgg and print them out there are some great ones on bgg i don't Though I just bought a, my first printer because I'm the most <laughs> millennial person ever. <laughs> um, I didn't buy a printer until I was 30. Uh, um, so. Josh, I wouldn't have bought a printer if I didn't need to print out my own papers to edit them for my PhD classes. That's yeah. the only reason I have it. So uh, now I probably will be printing some reference sheets um, <laughs> now that I have the the ability to do so. Yeah. So, because um, like pet peeve of mine is like the original Kemet and it came with like one mm-hmm. set of all of these tiles in this like little menu or the same thing for Star twilight Imperium fourth edition. It had like one reference thing. So I just print them out for everybody. Um, again, there's privileges being able to afford that or have access to a printer. Don't get me wrong. But if you can do little things like that, that are a reference to a person where they're not necessarily having to ask you the question 
and they can they have something they can work off of and you teach from, it can also go a long way. Um, Absolutely. But also just one more tip and then Josh, how about you round us out? And that is um, trying to avoid jargon. Um, so I know like when we're at a game convention, it might be more of a time to use jargon because you're probably there with pretty deep hobby gamers, but maybe not saying the phrases of like, well, it's just a deck builder and we're going to be using some worker placement comp- uh, uh, actions. Mm-hmm. because that also means I then know how deck builders work and I know what it means to do worker placement. And you're assuming, yeah. Deck building, engine building, worker right. placement. Yeah. So it's it, like, what it, is it? It becomes very confusing. <laughs> what is yeah. this Franken game? Yeah. Um, just because it's just because you, if that makes sense for you, doesn't mean it makes sense for somebody else. And so just yep. walking them through kind of like Josh did before is super helpful. Um, and help clarify things because sometimes games are using symbols. So this is a thing in Sleeping Gods that we'll talk more about amongst everything. But like it'll have symbols on your characters, but it uses the words on the cards. And so anything you can do to help connect that symbolic, like the symbols to actually the words um, is helpful um, and make, helping make those exchanges explicit for the players around the table. Don't assume that somebody thinks that strength means uh, like a bicep, right? Um, so just don't, yeah, just talk that through. Yeah. Another really useful thing for reference sheets is, you know, even if you don't have, even if the designer or the publisher did not include a reference sheet, you can often find some really handy reference sheets on BGG. Oh yeah. That, it's for 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 those exact things, right? The, just the symbology. Sometimes that's just handy to have if you have the ability to print something out that's just like a quarter sheet of paper that just has all the symbols and the words that they are associated with. Um, yeah. Something as simple as that can be incredibly handy. Yeah. So, Josh, how about you round us out? Yeah, I, I mean, this we went longer than I expected to go <laughs> on this, and I think that we could probably go for another hour easily and and still be nowhere near through everything that that i think we could talk about in this topic i this is something that i want to continue to revisit and i again one of the reasons i wanted to bring this topic to this podcast is i would love to see some some feedback from from our audience and from the listeners and so if if there are tips and tricks, things that you find useful or unuseful, um, if there are, we didn't even touch on rule books and the positives and negatives of different rule books and, and what, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That could be an episode in itself. Exactly. And so if there are just, if there are things that you find are, are helpful to your game group that, that you like to explore when you're teaching or, or if there are things that, you experienced once learning a game and you wish more people would do it because it was really helpful. I would love to hear some feedback and some engagement in this because one of the things that we learn very early when you start working in educational spheres is everyone learns differently. Um, Everyone brains work differently. And so, you know, a lot of what I try to do when I'm cultivating a a new learning experience for someone is to try and identify all of those different types. 
So I have the game set up so the people who are tactile can learn to uh, can, can see or people who are visual can see everything. And I'm telling people things so people who are auditory can hear what what is being said. And, you know, maybe we play a round for the for the kinesthetic learner um, as a practice round. And so trying to, you know, work towards all of those different learning styles. Um, if there's something that, that you think is important, let us know. Um, engage with us. Give us some feedback. I think this is a great conversation that we can extend and continue to continue to have here. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. So if you want to reach out to us, please feel free to shoot us a message on Facebook um, or just email us boardgameimpact at gmail.com. We'd love to hear that and talk about it on a later episode. Because uh, another thing we could talk about, because you and I could talk about this for a long time, but like just to put this out there, like crafting your game bag right and and having the games that you're going to most likely play and then the teasers for what those build to so that way they want to come back to that next week um so that's also like another thing we could even throw into this but i'm really glad we've talked about this yeah we did go long so i hope that's okay for everybody but also honestly with all the frozen and everything else that went on in texas Josh and I wanted to catch up a little bit, full transparency. Um, and so this was really nice for us. And hopefully it's been really helpful for you. And And if there's been something helpful in all of this, please make sure to rate this episode in your podcast app. It really means a lot. It helps with all the discoverability. And who knows, if you're going to a game night and somebody has listened to this episode, they might teach you games better. So the better you can help this discoverability, we'd greatly appreciate it and might circle back and help you in the end. Um, But that being said, we're looking forward to doing many deep dives as we've mentioned about some upcoming games. So definitely stay tuned. I'm not going to lie. There's been a lot of Kickstarters I've backed lately um, and picking up different things. And so we have a whole lot to talk about um, coming up soon. So definitely stay tuned for our latest episodes. But until then... Go have your positive impact on the world.